Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. All right, everybody, if you did not get message notes when you came in, make sure to raise your hand up nice and high, and the ushers are going to run to you, and they're going to give you those message notes so that you can follow along. Are you guys doing good today? Everybody doing well? Awesome, awesome. Okay, so how to pray a simple guide for normal people is what we've been talking about. We've been talking about prayer, and we have been looking at a prayer that... Jesus told his disciples, and this comes from Matthew chapter 6. So why don't we just say this together? Let's pray this together, okay? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we've been talking about these four steps, P-R-A-Y. And the P, we understand very clearly that in our crazy, wild, busy world, we have to pause. We have to stop so that we can have time to be with God. We have to rejoice in who the Lord is and what he's done. We have to Take a moment for that. And then we have to ask, ask for God's will to be done on the earth, and then also ask for him to do things in our lives that we need. And now we're coming to the why, the final thing, and that is to yield, to yield. Now, how many of you know, yield is a a word, the first thing I think about is I think about the rules of the road when it comes to yielding, because there's a lot of yielding you have to do. And I think about there's a lot of rules to the road, and my daughter is turn, turned 16 years old today, and so what that means is I have the potential for a lot of drivers out there, and there's a lot of confusing rules to the road. Um, for instance, green means go, except when it's a left turn on green, and then it means to yield. And if you don't follow that one right, you could have some devastating consequences if it happens, okay? The yield is kind of tough because stop is easy to understand. Green is easy to understand, but the yield is there's some some variance. There's some, okay, I've got to judge distances. I got to see about this. How do I merge into here? What does it work? There's a little bit of gray area and it makes yielding a little bit tough. Plus, Yielding usually means that you have to bring your pride all the way down and yield to something that's more important, okay? It's a little bit tricky. And so here we're looking at at the passage in the scripture that says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And there's some translations that say it this way, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And I want to just say this in these words, this part of the prayer, I think is possibly the most challenging, the most intrusive and the most elusive part of this prayer. But 
it is also the most powerful, the most world-shaking, and the most eternity-shaping portion of the prayer. And there in your notes, this portion of the prayer reveals our greatest need. It also reveals God's greatest gift. And it reveals the most important impact that we have. And that thing is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. Our greatest need, God's greatest gift to us, and our most impacting action is forgiveness. In fact, there's a story in Matthew 9 that you may know about. It was a man who was paralyzed, and they were bringing him to Jesus. And the room where Jesus was at was so crowded that they had to lower him on a mat down through the roof. They had to take the tiles off of the roof to get this guy to be healed. And, and here's what it says, Matthew 9, 2. It says, some men brought to him a paralyzed man laying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, that's interesting because he was paralyzed. The biggest thing he needed was to be able to get it and take that mat and walk, right? But Jesus chose to say, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take up your mat, and go home. Now, this certainly speaks to the fact that Jesus had authority to forgive sins, and that was what this was all about. But I also think it speaks to the fact that forgiveness of sins is just as powerful as being healed in body. In fact, even more so is exactly what the man needed. It's God's greatest, most healing, most wonderful gift to us is forgiveness. Forgiveness is powerful. Frederick Buckner said it this way, to confess our sins to God is not to tell him something he doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, they are the abyss between you, and when you confess them, they become the bridge. One of the most powerful actions, instances of forgiveness that I have ever seen in my life. Years ago, I was sitting in a church service and there was a man that came to speak and he was an evangelist that traveled all over to share his story and to teach the Bible. And, and he, it was so powerful. And he began to tell his story of forgiveness. And he said, you know, years ago, my life was not what you see now. You see, I was, I was a, a drug user and a drug dealer and I found myself in jail frequently and he began to tell this story that was that was shocking he was actually in jail for murder and he told the story of how one day he was he was influenced um, under the influence of drugs and he hallucinated and he thought in his hallucinative his, his hallucinating state he thought that he was being attacked by these giant mechanical birds and so he thought he was fending himself off and protecting himself. But what was actually happening is he was beating to death an elderly man with a hammer. And he killed a man in cold blood in this awful state that he was in. He was taken to prison. He was put in prison. When he found out what he had done, he was heartbroken. He couldn't believe, how, how could I have 
done such an awful, horrible, sinful, evil, vile thing by taking another human being's life. And then he told of a day that changed him forever. He said an old woman came to visit him in jail. And she came and she brought him an old Bible and said, I want you to have this Bible. Would you please consider the words that are written in this book? And the man did. In fact, he read them and he he began to learn the story of God and he gave his life over to the Lord. And, and now when I saw him, he was, he was evangelist speaking the words of the, the Lord. But that's not the most powerful part of the story. That is certainly powerful. But the woman that came to visit him was the widow of the man he had killed. And the Bible that he had been given that he still had in his possession was the Bible that belonged to that very man. And he said that he could not understand how someone could forgive him for what he had done. He said, I'm going to find out what it is about this person. I'm going to read the words of this book. And it changed him, thank goodness, for eternity. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. I want to talk to you today primarily about forgiveness, but we're going to look at something that is very, very old. We're going to look at a prayer that is called the prayer of examine. And it's, uh, it was made first by a 16th century Jesuit priest uh, named St. Ignatius Loyola. And it's a, an introspective prayer that takes prompts uh, of inters, uh, introspection. And it basically comes from Psalm 26, which says this, test me, Lord, and try me, examine my heart and my mind. And so there's four parts to this prayer. And this is something that you can do in, in your quiet time, in your daily quiet time, in your daily prayer time with the Lord to basically open up your heart and say, Lord, search me and see and, and, and know my inmost thoughts, okay? So we're going to talk about this today. The first one there in your notes, you can write it in. The first R there is to replay. Replay. When you get to a moment in your day, replay what's going on in your life. Replay the moments of the day, the stuff that happened, the, the places you were at, the people that you came in contact with. Think of it this way. This would be the instant replay of your day. You know, we know how instant replay works, you know. It's like there's a there's a play that goes down that is that seems amazing, but it's like, uh-oh, there's a challenge flag. We gotta do some instant replay. They look at it and find out, oh, you know what? It wasn't really a catch after all. The ball hit the ground. The ruling is overturned. We all know how that works, okay? How many know that some times in your life you're going through life and stuff seems great, but whenever you stop and replay and ask the Holy Spirit to look through. It's like, you know what? Maybe that wasn't quite the right action. Maybe that wasn't quite the right attitude. Maybe that wasn't quite what it first seemed like was such a good idea. And certainly, there will be times when you replay and you will see the good things that God has done, things that, that were a great blessing and gave you great hope and made you pause. And that's great. And we rejoice in that. But he will also show you the stuff that maybe at first seemed great, but you know what? That is not quite what the Lord wants to happen. Have you ever had a moment where you did something and then you, you regretted it almost instantly and you thought, oh my gosh, what have I done? Okay. Man, funny, funny story. When I was in eighth grade, eighth grade gym class, we were doing a softball unit 
And uh, I mean, I, I didn't care. This was not competitive. This was gym class. You had to do it. Okay, I, we were, my team was sitting on the first base line, and our batter was up, and he hit a, hit a grounder out there. They threw it to first base, and he ran really fast, and he was safe by a mile. Then the ball, he hit the base, the ball came in, and the coach, who was way far away, said, he's out. And we're like, oh my goodness, this is crazy, he missed my mile. Well, I thought it would be funny if I would do like they do in the big leagues and I would run out to the mound and start kicking dirt and kind of making up a fuss about the, the bad call, right? Because that's what they do in the big leagues. I just thought that would be hilarious because nobody cared about it. I mean, it's eighth grade softball. So I jumped up and I, you know, ran out there and I started, you know, kicking dirt and going, what? He was safe. You know, I started like doing all this crazy stuff, you know? I mean, I was like, I was, you know, George Brett coming out pine tar, you know, all, just crazy flaying my arms everywhere. And I was just, this is great. Well, what... I didn't realize is my whole team thought, hey, this sounds like, looks like fun. And they joined me and we cleared the dugout and we're gathered around the coach just going crazy. And I thought, oh my gosh, what have I done? I started a riot. And our coach who is normally very good natured. He goes, that's it. Everybody 10 laps. And we had to run the rest of the time in gym class. And as we were running and the guys in my class were going by me, they would punch me as hard as they could in the arm. They'd say, thanks, Fortner, for making us run laps for the rest of the gym class. At that moment, I thought, you know what? That wasn't such a great idea. That was pretty bad. <laughs> Replay your day with the Lord, and he will reveal to you things that maybe shouldn't be there actions, attitudes, thoughts. And he will even be faithful to go to the dark stuff, the stuff that you don't want anybody to know about, the stuff you don't want anybody to see, the stuff that you would be ashamed or you think it would be shameful to bring it out into the light. He will go there. He will expose the sin that is in those dark places. Psalm 139, 23 says, investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm all about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. Part of yield is being able to say, Lord, I open up my, my heart, replay my day and show me what I need to. And then when we do that, we can go to the second one here. And that is to repent. Repent. Repentance is being sorry for those things that I've done, the sinfulness, the dark places, and then move to the point that, Lord, I want there to be change. I want something to change. And the Holy Spirit is faithful to do this. Now, when we are at this place, we do have a choice, I believe. We can either conceal our sin. In other words, oh my gosh, let me keep that dark, which is stupid because God knows it anyway. But we try to. We try to conceal it. We try to do like what Adam and Eve did whenever they ate the fruit. The first thing they did is they covered themselves. They covered up and they ran away and they hid from God. We try to do that with our sin. We try to cover it. We can do that. Or we can try to justify our sin. This is like the Pharisee in the Bible that prayed and he said, Thank God I am not as bad as that guy. We try to justify what we are. How many of you know that is not a good thing to do? But we do it all the time. 
We do it, we try to think, well, this is not as bad as this, and this is not as bad as this, and this is not as bad as this, and, and I'm not as bad as that. And, we, and then we get ourselves to the place of, well, we don't need introspection because we're fine. You know what? Not so. All the darkness gone, all the light in. We don't justify our sin. We need to repent. And the third one there is we need to confess our sin. This is like the tax collector that stood up and he beat his chest and he said, God, forgive me for I am a sinner. Psalm 51, 7 says it like this, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. You guys know, may know this scripture, 1 John 1, 9, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We repent. And then as we repent, then the most amazing and wonderful thing happens is we can do the third thing there is we can receive something so amazing from God. We can receive his forgiveness. We can receive our debts wiped away. We can receive those sins wiped clean, completely clean. You know, the first scripture says to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's a very kind of business-like term. I mean, that's a very, we, we tend to think of money when we think of, of debts. And I don't know if you've ever had an actual financial debt forgiven or paid. Uh, but we actually had that happen to us one time. We had a very substantial debt that was basically just paid by someone. And let me tell you, it is a awesome, amazing, and wonderful thing, but it is a little hard to receive it because it's so shocking. And I, re you know, think about that, but I think about the debt of sin that we have been forgiven, that has been paid by Jesus. And maybe for some people, it's a little bit hard to receive, but all we have to do is to receive it. And I remember whenever we had that debt canceled, it was like, you almost felt like saying, well, what do I need to do? What do you want me to do? Nothing. You receive it. That's exactly the way it is with God's forgiveness toward us. We receive it. Let me tell you guys this. It doesn't matter what you have done. There is more grace in God than there is sin in you. You cannot be too bad. You cannot be too broken or boring for God's love. You can only be too proud to admit that you need his forgiveness. The Bible says, ask and receive. As we move into him, he will run to us. As we turn to him, he runs to us and he runs to us to wipe the slate clean. We all know the story of the prodigal son, this guy that ran away from his father, ran away from his family and just did wild and crazy things, took his inheritance and squandered it away. And finally, he decided to get to the point where he wanted to come back. He needed to come back and he turned for home and the cool thing about the story is, is he did not have his repentance speech polished up before his, his father ran after him. All he had to do was just turn back home, and the father was more than willing to run and to hug him. That's the same way it is for us. Guys, you don't even have to know what your, your, your repentance speech is. Just turn back. Just turn to him, and he will run to you, and he will hug you just 
receive, receive. And then the final thing, the final R there is to reboot, is to reboot. Now this is kind of the actionable item (laughs) in this part. And that scripture says this, it says, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Now, here's the part of this yield thing that is kind of tough, I think. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you. I kind of wrestle with this part of the prayer because it sounds very, uh, it sounds very contingent. My forgiveness of God is contingent on what I do. I mean, it sounds a little, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I would rather it say something like this. I would rather it say, and forgive us our debts and lead us not into temptation but delivers from evil. I just kind of want to skip that part, okay? Or I kind of like for it to say something like, and forgive us our debts as we try to forgive all of those evil people around us. I kind of wanted to say that too, but I'm telling you what, it does not say that. And forgive us our debts as we, for, as we forgive our debtors. In fact, it kind of, the, the, the point gets hit home more in the gospels. Mark 11 25 says this, and when you assume the posture of prayer, remember that it's not all about asking. If you have anything against someone, forgive. Only then will your heavenly father be inclined to also wipe your slate clean of sins. And then in Matthew 18 there, Jesus actually tells a parable of a master who has, has this guy who owes him a lot of money. And he's getting ready to put, kind of put the screws to him and, and, and press the issue and demand this back or throw him in jail. And this, this man begs for mercy from the master. He's like, please don't throw me in jail. Please don't hurt my family. Just, just please help me. And so the master has mercy on him and lets him go. But the first thing he does is does the op- opposite is he goes and demands stuff back from the people that owed him money. And it says here in verse 32, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Now, this is tough, but it is so clear to me that the vertical act of forgiveness that happens is very much tied and linked to the horizontal act of forgiveness that we do to each other. Why is that? Well, I think it's because of this. It speaks to the power of God's forgiveness, because when you have been forgiven by the Lord, when those sins have been washed clean, when his light has come into your life, the Holy Spirit has searched through, and you have been forgiven, and you know it, and you have taken those fists that are clenched so tightly, and you begin to let go because of the blackness that was your sin, and you have been shown grace and mercy and forgiveness, and it's been wiped clean. That makes there have to be a change. And that change has to translate. It has to be passed on to people that are around you that have done some of the most awful things to you. You have received forgiveness 
It has to be passed on. Now, so many times we'd rather just pass the buck. But forgiveness has to be passed on for real. Second Corinthians, there's a scripture, in fact, that says it like this. Second Corinthians 5.18, I think this is actually one of the, the memory verses in Catalyst 1, I believe. It says, all this is from God who reconciles us to himself through Christ. That's the forgiveness. That's the making things the same. That's putting us right back to where we need to be, where God wants us in relationship. Forgiveness. Who reconciles us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, he has forgiven and he's given us the job, the ministry, the mandate to be people that are also forgive. C.S. Lewis said it this way, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. There in your notes, this is a true statement. Forgiveness is the way Jesus taught us to overcome darkness and defeat the vile bitterness that harms hearts and ruins relationships. Forgiveness is the choice to love and let go, not hate and hold on. Matthew 18 21 says this, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And then in Matthew 5, 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go, and be reconciled to them, then come, offer your gift. And this is one of the first times, the only time I can think of, where basically the idea is, well, you you don't go to Jesus first. (laughs) You go to him second, after you've made things right, after you've forgiven. Now, I I want you to understand, I know this, we live in a world that is unforgiving, We live in a world that is vile and dark and bleak. People are easily offended and people are victimized and quick to judge. In fact, I read somewhere where someone said that the most powerful words today are, I am offended. But I want you to understand this, that there is something much more powerful than that. And that is forgiveness is much, much more powerful I also want you to understand something very clearly too, is forgiveness doesn't mean that what they did to you was right. It doesn't mean that. And it also doesn't mean that you have to trust someone who has done something so awful because I know, I know some of the stories, I know some of the things that that you have been through that are awful and they are awful. Let God deal with them. Let his judgment and justice deal with them. Let his Holy Spirit deal with them. You don't have to. Forgiveness is all about handing the one who is offended over to him. And it's about you getting your heart clean and letting them go and forgiving them. It's so sad because when we we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts, it's like we hold on to the very, very thing 
that keeps us down, that keeps us chained. Once we let go, that's whenever the healing begins to come in. It's very interesting, too. That scripture I read in 1 John, it's when we confess our sins to the Lord, we find forgiveness. But there's another scripture in James that said when we confess to one another, we are healed. It's fascinating how those things are put together, how they're connected together. I want to tell you one final story, true story, that I think is the, really one of the most beautiful pictures of forgiveness. I want to tell you the story of Ruby Bridges. And I actually have a picture of Ruby uh, up here on the screen. Um, Ruby was born in 1960, and she was the first African-American to, to attend a white school after desegregation. And there are a lot of, her story is actually pretty famous because it made the headlines uh, every day. And many in her family did not want her to go to the school because they, they feared for her life, but her mom wanted her to have an education. And so she, she went. But there were massive protests about her going to this, to this school because, um, because she was the first African-American to go. And it was just a, a time of just a vileness, just just awful hate. In fact, they had to send 25 federal marshals to go with her to school to protect her on the way because she had to walk through these protesting crowds that would, that would hurl insults at her and, and say these awful words. In fact, it was said that someone even brought a, brought a casket with a doll in it um, just, just as this, this mean, awful, awful thing. And and, uh, you know, there, there she is walking to school with people having to protect her as she's going. In fact, there's a famous Norman Rockwell painting um, that you, you may have seen before of Ruby going to school. And it's, it's this picture of this innocent little girl having to be protected from all this hate that is around her. And, in fact, a lot of the students that went to the school in New Orleans, they actually didn't go because they didn't, they didn't want their kids going. The parents pulled them out. And she was wondering where all the, the kids were at. In fact, there was only one teacher that would actually teach her at that school. Fortunately, there were some, some counselors that realized, okay, she's going to need some people to talk to because she's seeing all this awful stuff every day. And so she was talking to, to a counselor. And the counselor had noticed that in these, these newsreels, that it looked like as the, the crowd was yelling at her, it looked like she was talking back to the crowd. And he asked Ruby... He said, it looked like you're talking to the protesters. Are, are you angry with them because of what they're doing? And Ruby said, well, no, I was not talking to them. And the, the counselor said, well, well, who are you talking to? Because I, I could see you talking in, in the news, um, on the video. And Ruby said, well, I was talking to God. I was praying for the people that are in the street. And the therapist asked, the counselor asked, well, what were you praying for them? And Ruby said, oh, just the same thing that I always pray for them. I was saying, please, God, try to forgive these people even though they say these mean things. They don't know what they're doing. Now that is a picture of forgiveness. Now I think there's it's interesting how so many times in the scripture it says that unless you have the heart of a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And I think certainly the six-year-old girl, that shows the heart of a child, the innocent heart of a child, that somehow in the most amazing 
way was able to keep her heart pure and forgiving. And I tell you, there's nothing that can keep a person down that is able to have that kind of attitude. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgiveness is our greatest need. We all need it. We have to have it. We have all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin is black and dark and stark. And we need God. We need the miracle of the cross, the resurrection of Jesus. We need forgiveness. God's greatest gift is forgiveness. And our most powerful action is to forgive those around us. Could you guys bow your hearts and bow your heads with me? And we're going to, as we close this service today, we're just going to take a moment and do this examine prayer. And as I lead us with this and I pray it, I want you to, just in the quietness of that space right there between you and God, to, to do this as well. Lord, we just stop and we do an instant replay on our life right now. Holy Spirit, we ask you to search our heart. We ask you to search our mind, our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes. And we pray that you would pull back the curtain, open that closet, and let your bright, glorious light shine in. And God, as you reveal things in us that are not so great, things that are our sin before you, God, we repent. We repent. We are so sorry. I'm so sorry, Lord, for my sin. It is black before you, but I hand it to you, and I ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your forgiveness. In Jesus, we receive your glorious gift. We receive the fact that you wipe it clean, never to be known again, as if it had never happened. We thank you for that. And Lord, in full reception of that truth and that power, we think about all the people in our lives that maybe from long ago, who were so wrong and so awful. Lord, we release them into your care. We release them into what you need to do in their lives. God, we cannot control their destiny, nor do we choose to, but we choose to forgive them in Jesus' name because of the power of what you have done in us. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11. See you next time.